Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Alex Onindia. He is the CEO of Distinction Agency, which is an athlete and influencer marketing agency. So he works directly with them and brands to put them together, find a place that everybody's happy, everybody makes some money. It is a lot of fun. It was really cool to talk with Alex and kind of see where he's come from, how he came up through the ranks, what he did to get a job in sports, and how long he worked multiple jobs just to make sure he kept his place and kept where he was going on the right trajectory, and now what he's doing with Distinction and how successful he's become, and excited to see how successful he gets. So really, really hope all of you enjoy this episode with Alex. Awesome. All right. Today, very special guest. We have Alex Onindia, CEO of Distinction Agency, previously with the Miami Dolphins, Edelman, Green Room Agency, and was the VP of Communications at Revolving Mind Media up until very recently. So Alex, really appreciate you hanging out today, man. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Pleasures, all mine. We do something similar, so it's always nice to, uh, what does misery love? Man? No, I'm kidding. I love what I do, and I know you <laughs> love what you do too, but some of those days, man, some of those days. Uh, cool, man. Yeah, thank you so much, and it's actually interesting how we connected. Uh, I can't even remember through what medium it was, but I think you reached out on LinkedIn. You're like, hey, uh, I hear you're looking for more guests. I'd love to hop on. I was like, heck yeah, man. You're in PR. You know what you're doing, so I appreciate you reaching out, brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I saw you were working with Olympians, and I do the same, so I knew it would be great for us to connect. Well, hopefully the USOC doesn't listen to us when we say Olympian too many times. I've run into a couple problems <laughs> recently with that. Um, so, hey, but I consider it a good thing. If, if someone's yeah. paying attention um, enough to send me a cease and desist letter, I, I will take that as a win. Um, they, 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 I don't have a house. They really can't take too much from me. So, um, you know, my pride is all I'm living with. But Alex, again, really appreciate you hanging out today. First question I always love to ask everybody other than did the USOPC send you a cease and desist letter is why do you love sports? Great question. So I grew up as an athlete and for me, you know, I always wanted to be a part of the game. Uh, I played high school sports, uh, basketball and realized, you know, I wasn't going to go much further than that. So for me, it was, you know, how do I break into the sports industry in one way or another? Uh, so I went to Florida State University, studied sports management there um, and was fortunate enough to have an internship there um, where it was at a PR firm that kind of specialized in sports. They did um, worked with some consumer brands that had athlete ambassadors, um, also did media training for collegiate athletes. So able to get a little bit of a ground floor there and understand how you can work in the industry from the PR side. Um, and really from there, you know, I just knew I wanted to break in. It definitely took some time and had some other stops along the way to ultimately get where I wanted to be. But for me, I love sports. Uh, you know, in my free time, it's all I'm, I'm really doing is watching the latest game, whether it's NFL Sunday or an NBA game or whatever it is. So, you know, love sports and just wanted to find a way to make it my career someday. 
I love that, man. You, you and me both, a hundred percent. It's, it's always funny when someone's like, "Oh, so you know, like, you know, what are your, what are your hobbies? Like, what do you do?" It's like, well, if it's, if it's like June or July or August, uh, baseball is my hobby. Um, if it's the winter, probably football is my hobby. Uh, and then you know, there's that weird period after the Super Bowl where I guess I'll put on hockey and basketball. I don't love it, but I'll watch it. Um, so now I totally agree with you, man, a hundred percent. Like, if there's sports on. I'm watching it. That's just what I've grown up doing. It's grown up what, uh, doing what I love. So you you wanted to work in the sports industry because you were an athlete, because you loved sports so much. Again, it, it's just part of who you are and what you do. After that first taste, especially at Florida State, I'm curious, like, did you, because it's always interesting, and I love asking this question to people because so many people, you know, sports is on when everyone else is off, right? Like, mm-hmm. sports is on Sunday. Not too many people work on Sunday, so that's when we can all watch. But if you're in the sports industry, that means you're working on Sunday. So, so many people say they want to work in sports, but never put the two and two together. Well, the games are on at seven o'clock at night or on all day Saturday and Sunday. What was that like for you, especially just getting in? Like how much, how much did you fight with that? Especially as a 20, 21, 22 year old guy, kid um, fighting with, well, all my friends are out partying. All my friends are doing all this stuff. I have to go and work. what, What was that like getting into it? Yeah. So first breaking in in the agency setting, you know, it wasn't really working games and and staying, you know, past midnight or anything like that. And so got the taste there. And then, you know, I was working at an agency down here in Miami and had the chance to, you know, also work with the Miami Dolphins for game days. And so that was a great experience. Did that for three seasons. And for me, it was definitely eye opening to see everything that goes into that job. Um, And especially from the people who are full time, you know, working it Monday to Friday and then at the stadium Saturday and Sunday too. So it's definitely eye-opening when you break in. And I think, you know, initially there's really this allure that, wow, like I'm going to the stadium, you know, I'm walking on the field, I'm in the press box, the post-game locker room, and that's really awesome. And, it, you know, some people want to do that their entire career. And for me, I think it was probably about the first season and a half to two seasons, I, I loved it. Um, and then it started to get to the point where it felt a little bit more like a chore. Um, at the same time, I had gotten engaged and wanted to spend a little bit more time, you know, with my fiance at the time. And so it was one of these things I was doing it for passion and really just wanting to see what it's like to work in an NFL organization. But at the same time, I was kind of having that dilemma of, all right, I also want to spend my weekends with my family. So, you know, it was an interesting thing. And I kind of realized, you know, I think it was the third season. We had a Monday night game and a Sunday night game. And so I worked the entire day at the agency till about 6, 6.30, went up to the stadium, which in Miami, working in downtown and in the stadiums in Miami Gardens, that's a hall. Um, and then, you know, had to watch the entire game, transcribe the interviews afterwards, et cetera. And you're there until 2.33 in the morning and then going to work again the next morning. And so that's when I started to realize, like, all right, I don't know if I'd want to do this forever. And so, you know, ended my stint there. And you know, I think I give kudos to everybody who works for an organization because it is one of those things that I think initially it's, it's really the sexy job, you know, your court side or you're on the field. Um, and then as things go on, you realize, all right, this is really a job. You know, I'm here to, to do what I'm asked to do. And, you know, you lose sight, I think, a little bit of the enjoyment of actually being there. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Like a lot of people 
they want to work in sports, but they don't really understand what that means because it's not just watching, as you said, you know, you're there then to transcribe, you know, your job, you know, game day staff, like you're there. Yeah. You can watch the game, but there's things that you have to do. It's not like you're sitting at home with the beer in your hand, uh, tweeting about it or anything, right. It's not quite that easy. Um, and yeah, I guess, uh, I mean, my mom's a dolphins fan, so I don't feel bad saying it, but thankfully you guys aren't on primetime because you weren't really that good. So you, you didn't have to have too many of those late nights, I guess. Uh, maybe that's, that's a, that's a good thing. Again, that, the Thursday night game too, I'm sure you had one of those or two of those same exact thing, getting into work, uh, you know, not getting out till pretty late having to do that. Um, but I, I want to go back to a point you made earlier. Even you even said, you know, it took a little while to break into the industry for a minute. Um, your first couple jobs, you worked with Zimmerman, um, if I'm not mistaken, the very famous Jordan Zimmerman, right? That guy. Um, (laughs) And then Edelman. Don't know who the gentleman or or woman who started that company is, but neither of these really seemed too sports oriented when I look into their backgrounds. I'm sure they have some connection or shape or form. What exactly did you do there? And what did you learn that you were able to carry forward into your sports career? Yeah. So with Zimmerman, you know, that was an internship and then Edelman was really my first job after, after college. And so entry level position and really there was about establishing kind of that foundation of what corporate communications is, what PR looks like for fortune 500 companies and and what goes on in five, six, seven person accounts, you know, where you have multiple people really leading these companies and, and leading their communication strategy. And for me, it was really a blessing because I learned from some really talented people leading accounts like Chick-fil-A and big technology companies and different things. And so really wasn't doing much in sports and and knew I wanted to get back in. Um, But it was one of those things. I think it was the best thing that happened to me because I learned how to write press releases from pros, how to pitch the media like Edelman, for example, is the top global communications firm. When I worked there, they had I think 67 offices around the globe, learning from people like that really sets you up for success when then you go work, you know, with athletes or at a smaller agency and realize, wow, I just learned from the pros, pros, the, you know, the guys who are running accounts for a Chick-fil-A, a Coca-Cola. And then from there, it all just seems a lot easier when you're doing it with a startup or an athlete. Um, So that was really a great foundation for me. And I think a blessing because I realized, you know, not everybody gets to work in sports and not every account you work on is going to be that really fun thing that is your interest. Um, and so I think that was, you know, a humbling experience and also something that really shaped me um, as a PR and marketing professional. Yeah. I mean, working with some of these companies, you know, again, and, and learning from those people, that is, as you said, just a huge foundation because that's something that you're now going to carry forward for the next 30, 40 years, potentially, right? Like it sounds like a long time, something you learn when you're 22, 23 years old, but it's absolutely there. And I'm sure you've created some of those relationships and, and you're still hopefully able to stay in contact with some of those people. So you can, you know, kind of update your skills every once in a while when necessary. Right. Absolutely. But uh, I think it's, it's really cool. And again, just the way you thought about it, like, Hey, like, yeah, I want a job in sports right now. I can't get one. Let me find something that is at least translatable to the sports industry, to working with startups, to working with these athletes. Um, and it clearly sounds like you did a pretty darn good job at that, man. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, no. Appreciation. Uh, no appreciation. Thank you so much. Um, so with, with working at Zimmerman, working at Edelman, you got the job with the Dolphins. As we were talking about before, you were working with the Dolphins when you had some of these other jobs at the same time, how did you actually get that job with the Dolphins? Was it simply walking in and saying, hey, I can, I can transcribe or, you know, what did that take? 
Yeah, great question. So I had moved down to Miami after Edelman um, and started working with an agency down here called Green Room. Uh, it was a small agency when I got there, you know, less than 10 people. So the opportunity was great. You know, I was managing accounts on my own. You know, I went from being somebody just assisting at Edelman to all of a sudden you're the account manager, you know, at 23, 24 years old. And so that was a great experience for me and also to see kind of how a startup grows. Um, and it was kind of the first introduction to working with consumer brands that had athletes as brand ambassadors. So I was working with a brand and would set up interviews on behalf of an athlete like David Ortiz or Andre Ward, um, because that was one of their sponsors. So that was a great thing for me. At the same time, one of my colleagues there was actually the one that introduced me to the Dolphins. You know, she had been approached and, you know, said, I don't want to do this. You know, I already have a job here. You should do it. And at first, it was one of these things I was like, all right, let's see if they're interested in me. Uh, and I re still remember the first time I went to the stadium. Wow, I, I can't believe this is happening because I didn't pursue them. It just kind of fell in my lap. And so, you know, it was really fortunate that it worked out um, and I was able to do both jobs. I don't think many people have that opportunity as well to work full time, have a salary and benefits at one place and then still be able to dabble in the NFL, you know, on the weekend. So it's really fortunate. And it, it kind of came to me, which was funny because when I got out of school, you know, I was applying to hundreds of teams and really wasn't getting anywhere. And then it ended up that I worked at a couple agencies and a team kind of came to me. So it's, it's funny how that works out. It's always, the universe is a weird place, man. Uh, sometimes <laughs> that stuff just happens. And, and I think it's impressive, you know, obviously even, even the, the, the girl, the woman that you said, said, Hey, I, I have a full-time job. I don't want to do this. Well, you had a full-time job too, right? Like it's, it's mm -hmm. impressive that you were like, all right, yeah, I do have this full-time job, but I've always wanted to work for a team. So let me, you know, check it out. And I think it's really smart on your part and it's also you know as we were talking about before it's a lot of extra work like it's an entire day so now essentially all you get is saturday and in certain situations you're going to be real tired when you get home and and you know after that <laughs> super long day of work i mean what what do you think like what what were some of the things that you learned again going back to people understanding that working in sports is not the same as just a normal job what did you learn kind of straddle not straddling but doing both of these jobs at the same time when it comes to time management and, and spending time with others and really just putting your career ahead of pretty much every everything else in your life yeah you know it was one of those things i just i knew i had to do it because i knew i would regret passing it up and so for me you know, time management was something luckily I learned in college, you know, I was involved in a lot of different things. You know, I was in a fraternity and had a lot of things always going on and with school and different organizations and internships. So time management never was a huge issue for me, you know, once I learned that in school. Um, and it was just making your priorities and making sure that, you know, the, the free time you're maximizing it, you know, so when you're free, you're spending time, you know, with your fiance or with your friends or, honestly, just resting and getting some sleep, you know, that's a, another key to success. So, you know, just finding ways to ultimately maximize your time and not take no for an answer. You know, I wasn't going to sit on the sidelines when that opportunity came about. And so, you know, I was just willing to do whatever it takes. And, and working at a small agency, I assume, you know, as you said, you became the account manager at a young age. You worked there for a few years, if I'm not mistaken. And, and again, working at a, any type of small company, a startup, a small agency like this, I feel like you have a job title, but you really just have to do anything that needs to get done, right? So I assume work would have bled over, especially when you became a little bit more senior. You were, you know, there for three or four years at that point. You know, at, at what point 
did you say, all right, like the work here is enough. I, it was awesome. I know you said after three years with the Dolphins, it became a chore. But was there a time within there where you're just like, I, I have so much work I have to do here. Is this even worth it anymore? Yeah, it definitely picked up, I would say, a couple of years in uh, just from, you know, I went from an account manager of, let's say, two accounts to five or six and managing somebody younger than me, man running our internship program and doing all these things. And then the travel was picking up, too. And so, you know, going to a trade show in Vegas and taking a red eye back or, you know, going to New York for a media tour. We did a lot of those and then coming back like those things take a toll on you. And, you know, as the workload picks up, you realize you're sending a lot of emails at night, even some of the Saturdays catching up on work that wasn't done during the week. And, you know, we also worked with a lot of brands that were in Europe and Asia. And so the time differences, um, that was something that was also a challenge was, you know, learning as a professional that if somebody in Hong Kong messages you at 10 p.m. East Coast time, you don't have to answer right away. You know, when you're trying to prove yourself and, and climb the, the ladder in the company, you know, you're on the phone all day getting those notifications and learning eventually that there's a certain point where you just got to cut off um, and realize you can't do it all in one day. Um, that took an adjustment for me because you know, I've always been my toughest critic. And, you know, if I don't get back to somebody quickly, I'm mad at myself. So learning that adjustment of working with people in all different time zones and managing that workload eventually it just became, you know, I think a little too much. I definitely could have kept doing it, but I don't think the pros were outweighing the cons anymore. Exactly. And, and to, is, that's a really great point. The pros outweighing the cons. Like, again, it was awesome that you had the opportunity to work with the dolphins and you clearly learned a lot and it's a really cool thing to put on a resume, right? Like you met a lot of people, did a lot of things. So there is, you know, very few cons other than the ones that we already spoke about. But at the same time, if you are trying to climb that ladder and become the best that you can be when it comes to working at your full-time job, it may behoove you to just stick with that one job for the time being, right? <laughs> uh, so that makes sense. And did you ever, was there ever any crossover between what you did with the Dolphins and what you did with Green Room? Was there ever an opportunity that you could take advantage of there? You know, not really. It, we were mainly doing consumer products. There was the athlete play for brand ambassadors, but really wasn't much crossover, you know, like the media at the Dolphins are guys that cover games and are beat writers and, you know, that type of media. So it was kind of two different buckets. Um, but for me, I always still would, you know, make the opportunity to, to tell a beat writer what else I do, because you never know, you know, if a Dolphins player starts endorsing one of the products I work with, well, then there's an opportunity. So really just making as many connections as possible. And a good example I can give you is, I was just at the Senior Bowl in January, um, and we were sitting in the hotel lobby of the main hotel where everybody kind of congregates. Mobile, Alabama is a really small place. Uh, and I saw two of the Dolphins beat writers that I used to know just sitting there and chatted with them. I haven't seen them in a couple of years. And in Super Bowls here in Miami, the next week I see them at opening night. I see them on Radio Row. And it's just like, it's funny how you can go a couple of years without seeing somebody and then in the span of two weeks, see them three times. <laughs> That is funny. Yeah. And it's a good, I'm sure it's a good thing. I'm sure you guys got to catch up, maybe grab a beer, yeah. have some fun conversations, but then, you know, they met a bunch of people over two years. You met a bunch of people over a two year span. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a way that you guys can help each other out or, or, you know, just try and find and have that reconnection. Cause you never know what they're going to, who or what they're going to run into in the upcoming time. So I totally agree with you uh, at that time. So you were, again, you had two jobs at one time. And then as of recently, you were Revolving Mind Media, the VP of Communications, as well as started 
the distinction agency. So before we dive too, too far into distinction agency, um, why do you like having so many jobs at the same time, man? What are you doing? <laughs> I hustle. <laughs> I love it. There but, we go. But yeah, you know, it's just two, two more startups, you know, being involved in. And so, you know, my relationship with Revolving Mind Media was being a consultant, building out their PR division. You know, they didn't really have any processes or procedures there. And so really building that from scratch. And it's a great opportunity to work with some Cowboys players and individuals you know, with millions of followers on, on social media and things of that nature. And at the same time, you know, gave me the platform to also start my own company and really see, was that something that I wanted to continue with and was it going to be viable? And so, you know, it's, it's a blessing that both worked out. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things that distinction picked up, you know, kind of had to make a decision again. And what's, you know, really cool about it all is, you know, Revolving Mind Media is actually an agency partner of distinction now. So, you know, it's one of these things where, you know, we still do some work together and, you know, it ended up working out and there's, there's still synergy there. So really fortunate, you know, to be able to be in that position where it could learn from multiple individuals while building my own business. And, you know, ultimately we do some things different and some things are, are somewhat similar and it just works. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really cool, especially how you said that. I just want to make sure we, we touch upon it again. You were able to, to, become a consultant for this company. So I, I don't know how much you were making or, or what it was, but it sounds like you were on a, some sort of contract basis where it allowed you to kind of dip your toe into starting your own agency. So you had at least a base, like you knew, your, your fiance knew, okay, I'm at least <laughs> going to make this much money a month. You know, that, that's a nice place yeah. to start. It's solid. It gives you something to look at. So you can see your bank account go up more than it goes down, hopefully. And then this allows you to start your own company, which I think is a great way to do it. You know, I talk to people all the time and they're always like, I'm going to start my own company. I was like, honestly, I did it. And it was great. You either need a huge runway or you need to have some sort of a consulting part-time gig, like something to make sure money is always coming in the door. Because if you're starting your own company, it's not out of the gate. You're going to start making four or $5,000 a year. That's just not how it works. Um, and yeah. if it did for you, congrats. Congrats to whoever out there it worked for, but that's not normally how it works. So I think it's, it's great that you had that opportunity and that opportunity allowed you to create another opportunity for yourself, which I think is, is, uh, is incredible. And as you said, now they're an agency partner, you still get to work with them. I'm sure you, you worked very well with the, the owners or the founders or whomever at the mm-hmm. time, uh, hopefully they're still there and you guys have a great relationship and they understood what you were trying to build. So I do obviously want to talk about distinction, distinction agency a little bit. Um, obviously that's why you're here, right? So, so tell me about, I know, I know you work in the athlete and influencer marketing space. Um, but I want to hear it in your words. I don't need to sell your company for you. Absolutely. So we're an athlete and influencer marketing agency based in Miami. Um, and we represent a variety of different athletes, uh, in the Olympics, NFL and WNBA, and then social media influencers in different categories. So entertainment, food and beverage, lifestyle, travel, um, and for us, it was really about creating a diverse roster of individuals so we could go to any brand, understand, you know, what they're trying to accomplish from a marketing perspective, um, who, what kind of demographic they're trying to target, what type of creators, you know, fit their brand and their, you know, really what they're looking to do um, on social. And with that, you know, we work with individuals who have 10 to 20,000 followers on a platform, and then we have some who are multi-million. So, with that, we can really understand what a company's budget is, what their goals are, um, what type of engagement rate they're looking for those individuals, and then customize those campaigns. Um, in addition to that, we've also been building out our PR division and social media management and growth. Um, and we just held our first event during Super Bowl week. So that's another kind of area yes. of growth we see. Thank you. Yes. So 
that's something, you know, it takes a lot of time, probably we'll do once a quarter, I think, to start. Um, but certainly, you know, another facet of the business. But for us, you know, the primary area of the business is the athlete and influencer marketing. Been fortunate to work with some great brands and really continue to scale that out. Um, so it's just a great time to be in this industry. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, listen to Gary Vee, listen to some other guys, you know, they they still think it's severely underpriced. So, I mean, hey, if there's an opportunity for you to help some athletes, help some of these influencers, help the brands, help yourself, three-win situation, that's what we're here for, right? So, um, I think it's really cool how you've gone about it. As you said, you tried to build a very diverse roster. So, you can go to any brand. And so, so when you go to these brands, is it more, well, no, let, let's step back for a second. How do you build the roster of athletes and influencers? How do you, someone who obviously has extensive background, as we went over before, all the places you've been, all the things that you've done, um, I'm sure you met a couple people along the way, but how do you go about actually building that roster saying, hey, I'm, I'm new, like technically, like I've done this before, but the agency's brand new, like you should, you should take a chance on me. Yeah, you know, it's really finding people who will buy in and understand your vision. So, you know, we kind of started out by signing a few influencers and two athletes and really testing it out. You know, is this a viable concept? You know, our brand's going to take our calls. Are they going to be interested in doing this? And it started working. And, you know, we were, it went from, I would say, the year, year and a half of heavy recruiting. And don't get me wrong, we still recruit. We still reach out to new people all the time. But now we have a lot of people coming to us. Um, you know, an example I could give you knowing that you're in the Olympic space, shouldn't have said that word, but, uh, is track and field, you know, so started working with two track and field guys and, and did some good work for them. And before you know it, we're sharing some partnerships on social media, some interviews they've done. Now I work with six track and field athletes. And so it was one of those things. It wasn't necessarily the plan, but when you do good work, you can break into an industry and get that buy-in. Um, so for us, it was building out a roster where you know, we can go to a brand and understand what they want to do and have an option for them um, and then building it out from there. And so we're at a good place right now representing about 40 individuals, um, both athletes and influencers. And so, you know, we expect that to continue to grow, but we're also being more selective now and understanding, you know, where are those areas of growth and in individuals that we want to tap in. And then if somebody doesn't make sense, we'll just tell them, you know, We'll keep you in mind, but right now, you know, we're focused on these type of brands and this type of influencer. So it's a work in progress, but in the beginning, it was a lot of no's, a lot of rejection, um, but just putting your head down and going to work and then, you know, getting people to buy in and see your vision. And once you provide good work, it's a lot easier uh, to get new people on board. Absolutely. Yeah. As you said in the beginning, you just got to get a couple of yeses um, and then show mm -hmm. them that you can do good work because all their friends are going to see it. Right. You know, especially again, being in the in the Olympic space, um, understanding that there's not that much money that goes around there. So all of them of are paying attention. They all know what's going on. And if they can see and start to understand, oh, it was it was Alex and the distinction agency that did that. Oh, OK, maybe maybe I should reach out and see what's going on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I commend you very much there. You know, all the athletes I love. Um, especially in the Olympic world, but I'm sure you work with some really cool people all over the place and it is an absolute blast for you. So in the beginning, you know, you have a much smaller group of athletes. As you said, now, the reason you built your roster out so much is so you can go to pretty much any brand and say, what are you doing? We can help. Just let me know. And, you know, I can, we can figure out a way to make this work. In the beginning, what was it like only having three or four or five of these, um, you know, influencers, athletes to go to a brand and say, do any of these work, you know, round, round holes, square pegs, never, never is a good idea for anybody, but how did you kind of go about that beginning part of it? 
Yeah. So when we onboard a, a client, so even in the beginning with a couple athletes and influencers, we try to really understand how can, we can be that extra valuable partner and really what they're looking for that they're not currently doing. Um, so an example of that would be, you know, somebody wants to break into the travel vertical or they want to work with more startups or tech companies. So we try to understand their goals. And then in the beginning, the outreach was really targeted to these companies. So, hey, I'm representing this individual. They love technology. They love what you're doing. You know, I think this would be a great partnership for a variety of reasons. Let's have a conversation um, and do it that way. And we still do it that way in many different conversations because I do think authenticity is what matters most when looking at brand partnerships. Now we're also able to go in and say, this is who we are. This is our roster. Send it over and kind of start the conversation that way. So it has evolved. But in the beginning, it was really about diving deep into who that individual is and who that brand is and finding ones that work together um, and going about it that way, because that's the most important thing to a brand is that authenticity and, you know, certainly want to provide them with people who use their product and like their product and want to be a spokesperson and not just somebody who's concerned about the check. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that is, I mean, it's always been the most important part of marketing, right? Making sure everything is authentic and everything is coming the right way and, and, and understanding how you can do that because it's uh it's very easy to see when something is inauthentic i think it is, is blatant and it's like well this doesn't make sense like you've never done this before why are you posting about this now and it's really a brand spending money to have people hate them right like at that point you know the <laughs> brand gets nothing out of it yeah the person that's influencing make might make a quick buck but it would probably be smarter to find a company that makes sense for that influencer, as you said, be very targeted and specific what they are, who they are, and utilize companies and find companies that make sense to partner with. So I think obviously you guys have been doing a pretty great job so far. Hey, two years in business, you're still here, your roster is growing. I think the first time we spoke two or three weeks ago, that number was 35. Now it's 40. I'm excited to see, see maybe, you know, give you six months, see if you're going to be at 50 or 100 at that point. But when you, when you go into some of these opportunities, I'm sure it's going to be very subjective, but do most of the situations in the beginning, now, in the future, do you see them being more on a project by project basis? Like, hey, you know, do this one or two things and this is what you'll get. Or do you try and create those long-term partnerships um, that, that can really be sustainable and, and you can see both the brand and the influencer athlete growing together? It really is a case by case basis. And that's, I think, what's unique about what we do. And many brands, they do like to do the trial. Maybe it's, a couple posts on social, a three-month engagement, see how it goes. For us, we always are going for the longer engagement if possible. Um, that, to me, number one, we can offer you a better rate if you're going to engage with somebody over a year or six months versus just a quick couple of posts um, or a quick appearance. So for us, we definitely prefer the longer engagement, but we're not afraid to try something out and see you know, if it works. So like we started working with MGM Resorts in the fall. The first thing was one of our Olympic athletes was going to come out there for a couple of days, promote the resorts, make an appearance uh, at a red carpet event for a new Cirque du Soleil show. And that was really it. You know, it was kind of, let's see how this goes. And from there, we've been able to build out that relationship, just had somebody out there um, promoting something at the Bellagio in February. And so, you know, being an official vendor of theirs now, it's, it's fantastic. And so you definitely, especially as an early stage company, you have to be open to you know, just doing a trial or just starting with a very small engagement and building from there. Um, but ideally for our talent and our agency, we want those long-term partnerships. We want to be able to cultivate that trust and ultimately 
you know, consumers are more apt to buying something when they see their favorite athlete or influencer post about it multiple times, you know, over the course of several months versus just, hey, I saw that, I scrolled by it, and that was it. Um, so, and, and then the final component of that too is we make sure that in any deal we do, the brand is getting content rights for a specific period of time. And that's an important component here. So you're not just judging the social impact, was there conversions, increase in followers, what the engagement rate is, et cetera. But we want to work with content creators that are providing good content that can be used on the website, email newsletter, packaging, whatever that is, so the brand can make that partnership live on. And so when it comes to the athletes and the influencers, I'm assuming that's kind of, is that towards the top of the list now? Like obviously engagement and followers are, that's a necessity at this point. But do you, do you now, as you say, you were saying before, you're becoming more selective. Is that one of the areas you're focusing on most is, hey, like we need to, you, you can't just, you know, take a picture with this sock and say you love it. Like you actually have to be able to create real content around it. So is that kind of towards the top of the list when it comes to selectivity? Yeah, so we just actually signed a new athlete this week um, who was one of the first, if not the first, who's told me any partnership he does, he has his own content team. It's all professional content. And so usually one of the discussions I have with the brand is, do you want UGC content, which is obviously cheaper, or professional content done by our creative team? Well, this was like music to my ears hearing, okay, you have your own content team. I can pitch the brand. This content is going to be quality you don't have to make that choice. Uh, and I think that's a trend we're going to continue to see is, you know, this evolution of athlete and influencer content from, you know, a selfie somewhere or, you know, taking a, a shot by the pool or in the mountains to now they got a professional team and they sign a deal with somebody and they're going to do a whole shoot and orchestrate it, you know, for the brand. I think that's extremely valuable for those marketing materials and ultimately giving them content that lives on. So, that's just a great example. I was stoked to hear that. <laughs> Makes your life a heck of a lot easier too. Less coordination, just like, yeah, you know, show Absolutely. up at the MGM, hang out and do some stuff there. Um, so, so a couple questions on that. Where, I guess, where is the line of overproduced though? Right. Like that's the one thing about social media, especially in the beginning, it was kind of nice because it was a little bit more raw. And, it, and again, going back to authenticity, like where is the line of just a little too produced versus something that actually feels and looks real? And we know, okay, it's, it's a paid partnership, but I can believe it and I can see it versus, wow, you, you just created like a feature length film about, you know, going, you know, wearing the sock. You know what I mean? Like, do you, do you have an idea on that? Something like that? Yeah. From my perspective, and I, I think there's differing opinions on this, but from my perspective, I always look at what the brand really wants. You know, obviously I think a partnership can be successful, whether it is, extremely quality content or it is that more organic UGC type of content, I think it can be successful either way. But ultimately, you know, we want to make our brand partners happy and do what they're looking for um, because that's how we get them to reinvest and continue working with individuals. So I always look at it that way is what is the brand looking for? And then we'll make the best out of it. Um, and if the content is super professional, maybe we make the caption a little bit more funny and silly and, and tongue in cheek, or if the content isn't as professional, then maybe the caption's a bit more serious. So we can get creative with how we do that. But ultimately for me, it's how are the brands getting the value they're looking for and how are they coming out of this, you know, pleased with the work. And that's great answer, Alex. Sincerely great answer. Um, I was hoping to get you with a heart. No, I'm kidding. Um, but no, I think, <laughs> I think it makes sense. I mean, exactly. If the brand wants something done and you know, again, it goes back to 
who they are as a brand and authentically showing, you know, making sure you have that intersection of, well, this person, this influencer athlete always makes high quality content. And this brand really appreciates high quality content, right? Like it's making sure to connect those dots. And again, going back to having an entire roster of athletes and influencers that you can kind of pinpoint, okay, well, this brand, the, the quality of content is really only good for these five or six. And the area of influence is really only good for these two or three. So, that, you know, obviously just eliminated most of your roster, but you're able to then go to the brand and say, hey, we think these two make sense for what you're trying to do and they align most with you, right? So at that point, who says no, right? Like why would MGM <laughs> say no to something like that? So, so going back to these athletes and, and lining them up with brands, how often do you try and, again, when it fits, but how often do you try, as you said, you know, you had um, a, an Olympic athlete out at the, the MGM and then it sounds like you had somebody else out there recently as well. Like how often do these brands come to you and say, hey, we want to try something with multiple and have more of a deal with you as the agency rather than the athlete or the influencer themselves? That's a really good question. So a company like MGM, uh, for example, they go based off of events and activation. So they're really coming to us and saying, we need a certain talent for this type of event. Um, then there's other brands who want that one-on-one -on -one relationship with that individual. And that's the extent of it with our agency is just managing that process, making sure everything's going smoothly. Um, so once again, it is a case by case basis. Um, but for us, we prefer both, you know, because we're looking at the long term opportunity for both our agency and for our, our talent. And so finding ways that ultimately we have some clients coming to us for their needs. And then we have others, you know, really just working with the talent they want to work with. That just works. There's synergy there, you know, and we understand that as a team that no brand is going to be the same. There is going to be some brands that only want that WNBA player or only want that gold medalist. And then there's going to be others, you know, which is amazing to me is we've worked with a couple of brands where they tap in 10 of our clients, 10 of our influencers or athletes. It's a good day. That's a great, great day, great campaign to run. So, you know, I like it both ways, obviously for, for various reasons. And it's just, you know, it goes back to making sure that the brands are happy working with you because there is a million agencies, you know, we are unique in some ways, but there's also a lot of other agencies similar to us. So making sure that we're fitting their needs, we're not a cookie cutter model where you have to work with us for a specific number of months or years at a specific price. You know, we're flexible and just want to make it work for both parties. I think it also goes back to just the hard work that you've put into this, right? Like the, the, the work, as you said, to recruit these athletes, these influencers, and then have the wherewithal to say, okay, cool. Like we're, we're good at this point. Now we can be more selective and make sure we're going after areas. So that way we can fill all these different needs for all these different brands where it's to the point where the only thing we can have a conversation over where you'd say no is if you value it in a different way that we do. Essentially, it sounds like mm -hmm. almost at this point, you can go to just about any brand that's interested in working with an influencer at some capacity and it sounds like you could say, okay, I, I have this person. Well, okay, maybe that's a little too expensive for you. Okay, we'll move on. Um, so I think, again, you know, it goes back to the brands, but I think it also really goes back to what you've done. And, and I really wanted to make sure I commend you on that. I appreciate that. And I think kind of the next step we've been trying to do too is cultivate more of these agency partnerships so that if a brand is trusting us, then, you know, maybe they've worked with a couple people on our roster and they're not interested in anybody else. Well, then we can go to another agency and, and look at their talent and bring them in and do some sort of split on, on percentages and things of that nature. So make sure that ultimately the brand is still satisfied and we're helping them, even if it's not just somebody I represent, 
you know, I think that's a huge opportunity of growth for us because, you know, in the beginning we weren't really thinking that way and now we're thinking more collaboration and how do we ultimately just satisfy the brand. Exactly. And I mean, Hey, who, you know, they've got the money, right? That's what we're all going after. If they have the money and they want to give it to you and you're willing to, you know, kind of just go over there and find another athlete or someone else um, in an agency, like, you know, what we were talking about before with Revolving Mind. I'm not sure, you know, as you said, you had the opportunity to work for some cowboys. Sorry about that, but I guess they're not all terrible people. But um, yeah, no, I can see that being, you know, making sense. And, you know, if there's an opportunity, you'd rather have a good relationship with someone than a cutthroat relationship, right? Like, there's ways you know that we can both cross the street and help each other out why the heck not so i think it's really smart that you've been able to do that as well so um what's your favorite part about working with athletes and influencers so that's a great question i think for athletes it's helping them set themselves up for success after sports Uh, i think it's really difficult to make the most money you're going to make in your 20s and 30s uh i can't imagine that being the case honestly because i know how I thought at 22 and 23 about money. Um, So I think it's really just trying to help these individuals and make them realize the most doors are going to open for them while they're current and not when they're formed. Um, You know, right now they have the opportunity if they're a current professional athlete to meet with almost any executive, almost any broadcast personality or journalist or other influencer, like all the doors are open for them and trying to get them to understand that and start career planning, you know, while they're current. That's, that's a great thing to me. I, one of the things that inspired me to work with athletes was, I think it was a documentary on ESPN, but one of those that talked about how 70 something percent go broke. Um, And, you know, I hate to see that. Um, And so, you know, for us, it's just trying to help them in, in any way and even just realize like, you can work with these companies. It can be a check. It could even be equity in a startup. We just finalized one of those deals about a month ago. And that to me is a great opportunity. It's a win-win. Either it's going to work out and you're going to make a ton of money or great experience, a learning lesson. We move on. So it's one of those things. I think it's awesome. And then from the influencer side, just being able to teach them, you know, all the ways they can monetize. They know they can get sponsored posts, but Maybe they don't realize they can launch their own product. Maybe they can, you know, Kylie Jenner is a perfect example, you know, launch her own brand on a mega scale. Uh, Maybe they don't realize they can get paid for event appearances or different things or, you know, just, just getting creative with their businesses and seeing themselves as a brand. That's what I enjoy working with the influencers and just being extra value. And at the end of the day, they're going to get a bunch of inbound messages. They're going to be able to foster relationships on their own, but how can we, maybe break them into another vertical and teach them, you know, things that are going to help them, you know, quit their job and be full-time influencers. You know, that's something I always love to hear is, yeah, I left my job. I hated it. And now I'm making more money than ever doing this. Like, that's awesome. That is awesome. And, and we could all be jealous or envious, but I mean, clearly they put a lot of hard work and, you know, that's the one thing I hate is people are always just like, Oh, that's gotta be so easy. Well, if it's so easy, dude, you go do it. Like, what have you been doing this whole time? Like, I don't get it. Like it's clearly takes a lot more work and, and a lot more energy and effort than a lot of people think. And I think it's awesome. You know, the reason why you're working with athletes, I totally agree with you while they're athletes, there are so many more doors that will open up. Um, and it's not even a question. And there's that little afterglow period, depending on the sport they were in or how famous or, or how relevant they were. But really, like once they're out of the sport, whatever it was, um, you know, a lot of those doors aren't as open anymore. And you got to shove your foot in, hopefully. And in certain cases, it's definitely, you know, it's locked tight shut. So I think it's great that you're taking that approach to it and helping them 
you know, obviously monetize now, but it sounds like, again, going back to the events, the social media management side, it also sounds like you're helping them build to continue to do that afterwards. You know, they, essentially they can go from athlete to influencer if they're working with you guys in certain situations. So tell me about, I guess, that aspect of your business that you've started to scale and build out the event side. I'm assuming you invite a lot of your clientele there. Um, and then the social media management side to help really just make sure that they're building for the future, especially, I guess, more on the athlete side than the influencer side. Yeah. So first with the events, um, we really saw it as 2020. We wanted to do something, you know, we have great connections and great clients we work with. How can we leverage it? So Super Bowl was here in Miami, you know, the perfect week to plan something for us, you know, being in this industry and having everybody come into town. Um, so we partnered with an events agency down here because, you know, quite frankly, from the logistics standpoint, we just haven't really done much on the event side. So we partnered with an events planner, uh, had a few different sponsors that ultimately helped us put on the event. Um, it was held on a yacht, uh, 105 feet parked um, near the Fountain Blue. Uh, All right, so dude, let's plug, go. Plug, yeah, plug one of our clients there, but it was great to have that. Um, and we just did invite only. You know, we made sure that everybody was in the sports industry or was an athlete or an influencer. It was a great event. Um, we had everything from current and former athletes, different influencers, a radio station. Um, other agents, other people working in the industry, NFL scouts, you know, really just a great group of individuals that wanted to network, wanted to be there, felt safe in that environment, you know, didn't have to worry about people asking for autographs or anything like that. You know, it was just great networking and obviously using what we have in Miami, you know, as a resource, you know, there's not a lot of places where you could be out in January on a boat yep. uh, and do that. So you know, making sure we're maximizing that. Luckily, Tampa is the Super Bowl next year. So we hope to do that again. Um, but it just really worked out. And we were fortunate to have a lot of great collaboration and partners. We certainly certainly wouldn't have done it on our own. Um, so I really do appreciate all the hard work that went into it. I mean, a good example of it was that day leading up, you know, I worked Radio Row, went to one of my clients on a panel, went to another event and then went to our event. So I wasn't working on it at all that day. I was busy with a million other things. So having partners and people that could help set it up really was key. That's awesome, man. And yeah, shout out, shout out to your team and your partners and, and everybody else there to get that done. Um, because, you know, obviously you being the head of this, head of this uh, snake, uh, sometimes when you're, you're cut off from the rest of the team, bad things do happen. But clearly it sounds like you've amassed a, a great roster of not just talented athletes and influencers, but people that work with you as well. And I think that's, I mean, that's key in, in most industries. So, you know, very, very smart on your part. And congratulations. I will uh, congratulate you on that one. So great job again, Alex. Looks like you're, you're checking all the boxes, man. I can't wait to see. <laughs> Hopefully we can stay friends. So in like 15 years, I can just come to one of these yacht parties. I think that would be pretty hey, sweet. Hey, you're, you're welcome <laughs> to the next one. Absolutely. Can't wait, brother. Cannot <laughs> wait. Um, so that's the event side. Uh, what was it like? So this was like your first big one. Um, how much of an undertaking really was it? Especially, I mean, knowing a lot of people, it's nice that they're going to be down there and it's not like they have to travel all over the world to get there, but how much of an undertaking did it really take to, to, to put all this together? Yeah. So initially it wasn't going to be as bad as it turned out to be. So we had dock space um, at another venue, which I won't name them. Um, but basically they sold out to Stella Artois a couple of weeks before. Um, so because of that, we had to find dock space in about a two weeks notice. Um, given the amount of high net worth individuals coming down to Miami for Super Bowl, that was no easy task. Um, so we were literally in Mobile for the Senior Bowl a week before this event is supposed to happen, on the phones, trying to find the dock, working with our events partner, 
you know, it was a scramble, to be honest with you. At one point, I wasn't sure it was going to work out. And we had had sponsors already pay. We'd invited all the guests. You know, we put out the graphic on social media like we had put ourselves out there. Um, so it was nerve wracking. And it was one of those things, just thankful it worked out. Um, you know, and it, we just found a way to make it happen. But it certainly wasn't easy. It taught me a lot about the event side, how you just never know what can happen. And in the end of the day, you know, you might have everything organized on your side, but some mega brand comes in and throws a wrench in it. Um, and in the end of the day, I understand, you know, they can write a much bigger check than we can write. So I totally get it, but it, it, it made for a headache there. But luckily everything worked out really well. We had everything, you know, ran smooth. We had security, bartenders, content people, um, just everything went great. So, you know, really grateful, you know, it worked out. I'm grateful it did too, because that sounds like that was awful. Um, but again, I'm, I'm kind of glad it happened because you were still successful in what you were trying to do. You now know never to work with this other doc again. Joke's on them. You're based in Miami. You could literally use them constantly, but they went for the one, like as we were talking about before, they went for that short term, really big check. It would inauthentic. It didn't really make sense. Um, whereas you're based in the city and you could utilize them on a constant basis. So, Hey, that's on them, man. That's on them. What are you going to do? Right. Um, <laughs> it happens. Exactly. It happens. And again, you learn from it. And now I can almost guarantee every event moving forward is going to be an absolute breeze, dude. You got nothing to worry <laughs> about there. That should be easy and fun. Um, so that, that does sound like a, a happy. It happened kind of sucks, but happy, still happy. It happened. Um, and then, so that's the event side. What about the social media management side? Uh, again, yeah, more focusing a, on the athletes and kind of that legacy aspect of it, uh, moving forward. Yeah, that's a great question. So we kind of approach it in two ways. First is just consulting them and telling them what to be posting. And we don't even charge for that. It's more of, Hey, this is the content mix you should be putting up. You know, if you want to break into fashion, let's get some fashion posts up. You know, let's show a little bit of your family, show that personal side, because brands love to see that as well. If you're involved in a foundation, how do you show that on, on social as well? So just kind of guiding them um, through that and making sure that the content is reflecting what they want to achieve from a branding side. Um, and then the second component is if they do need help with growing their page or managing and posting, you know, we can help there as well. Um, and we also do help, you know, some influencers and even some business owners. That's been you know, another thing that's been really great is like we work with a realtor and an interior designer. And, you know, it's one of those things that we don't really talk about that much because all our branding and everything was kind of geared towards the athlete and influencer marketing and the PR, but it's kind of evolved and it's another great arm of our business and something where, you know, we have knowledge in the space and we want to give back. And, you know, if somebody wants to work with us, we're more than happy to, to help them achieve their goals. Um, and every program is ultimately what the individual is looking to accomplish. So the athletes, you know, how are we optimizing the content to get those brand partnerships they want? And then with like individuals, you know, if I'm working with a South Florida realtor, well, how do we narrow in on South Florida and find qualified buyers that could end up being a conversion and pay for our services for many months? <laughs> I love it, man. That's what it comes down to, especially for business owners. Sales. If you can get me one sale that'll pay for 12 months, I'll keep coming back for 12 months, man. I got no problem with that. Um, so I, I love that aspect of it. And I think it's really cool that, again, you saw what you, you saw the roster and the and talented people that you had. And you, okay, how can I make this better for them? Not only by you consulting and helping them with social media, it makes their opportunities greater but it probably makes your life a heck of a lot easier because you can go to a brand and say, Hey, look, they've been talking about this. I'm not, I'm not just saying they like technology. Look at them utilizing technology. They were at mm -hmm. CSE. They did all these incredible things. Um, 
So it makes sense from that standpoint. I mean, heck, if you can consult them and make your life easier, make them more successful, charge more money for what they can do. I mean, it's, it's clearly a no brainer again. And I, I love the way you're kind of seeing this, thinking about it and utilizing it and moving forward with it. And shout out to that South Florida realtor. I hope she or he makes a lot of money and keeps paying you for what they're doing. Um, but then uh, <laughs> only a couple more questions, man. I, I sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time. This has been an absolute blast. So you brought up before when you, you had your, your incredible yacht cruise that went perfectly, you know, duck, duck on water, right? Uh, the, the feet are going crazy, but water off its back. No one knew what was going on. Um, so congrats on, on putting that down again. But you said you had other agents there. And that's one thing I'm really curious about, especially working in the NFL and the NBA. What is it like? What, what are those relationships like working with their personal agents, their managers? Um, how, how, how difficult are some of them and how easy are some of them to work with? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And I think it's something that I'm really happy I've embraced cultivating those relationships and not looking at them all as competition. Because in the end of the day, we don't negotiate the on-field contract or on the on-the-court contract. So, you know, I look at them as more people we can collaborate versus competition. And, you know, there are certain players that the only way you're going to work with them is going through their agent. Um, so we kind of do it in one of two ways. Um, the partnership can be with the agent where they can go into a recruiting meeting and say, we have a marketing agency on board. They do this. They're an extra arm of our business. They can help. And the other way we've done it is kind of a white label where the player doesn't even know we're helping set up some of these interviews. It's just an agency partnership. Um, so there's kind of two ways of approaching it. Uh, I see tremendous value, you know, in aligning with agents and just having good relationships because you never know when the right client's going to come about too. Like, everyone they represent isn't going to want to work with somebody like us. They're not going to want to put in the effort on the marketing side, but then they're going to get somebody that's like, why does my teammate have all these endorsements and why am I only working with Nike or I'm only working with Gatorade? You know, I want to be doing so much more. And so for them to just think of us, you know, even if it doesn't come to fruition immediately, but just for them to know who we are and that we're not competing, we're that additional partner, we can add value. And we're not going to steal your guy because we're not certified by the PA, you know? So it's not a direct competition. It's more of a collaboration. That's how we view it. And it's, it's been a big reason for success as well. It's smart for you to view it that way, but I can only imagine how many agents still look at it as, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to come in, you're trying to steal their client, which is ridiculous, right? Like as you, as if they did a little bit of research and just saw who you work with and what you've done and how you've done it, yeah, they would have clearly figured out like, yeah, maybe they're not here to just take my clients. Maybe they're actually here because we can all make more money, right? Like I've been yeah. able to develop relationships with some agents and they're awesome. And they're always, they mm -hmm. actually reach out to me. They're like, Hey, we're looking for this kind of brand. Do you know anybody? I was like, yeah, I could check into that. Or <laughs> I can say, Hey, like this brand specifically was looking for a X, Y, Z, W, V, U, T kind of person. And I think your client's great for it. Does it make sense? I take my cut. You guys get the rest. How's that sound? So it, it makes sense. And, and I, I, I kind of like working with a lot of agents, the good ones. But again, I'm sure you've ran into a couple that you don't want to talk to anymore and hand up. I have oh, yeah. There, room, there's, there's some that don't want to hear it. And exactly. I get it. You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, if I was on the other side, I might look at it different too. But I think it's just educating them that we have the best interest of the players at heart. And, you know, if, if we're not doing our job, you can get rid of us in a moment's notice. You know, exactly. it's, it's one of those things. We just want to add value and, and build together. Um, and that's how you build trust and ultimately long-term. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and um, so with the, the influencer agency, kind of popping over to that for a second, I know it's, it's a huge 
huge um, influencer market, I apologize, is, is a huge market. It's well over billions of dollars, I have to assume at this point. I don't remember exactly what the numbers are. I'm sure you do. But is this just the tip of the iceberg? Is this going to be where more and more money just keeps getting funneled to the point where it's, that's, it's kind of just the norm? I believe so. I, I believe the platforms evolve. You know, look at TikTok, for example. You know, it, it's going to continue to evolve and there's going to be new opportunities. Um, but in the end of the day, content has become king. And if you look at studies of like Gen Z, for example, I saw one the other day and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it said their consumer purchases. Number one is family. Number two is influencers in terms of the people that you know, impact their decision making on what to buy. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that because, you know, I always use this example as well, and I'm so guilty of it. You know, watching an NFL game, the commercial comes on. First thing I do is grab my phone. The TV ads are just in the background now. You know, maybe on the Super Bowl, everyone's watching them, but a normal sporting event, normal game, everyone's tuned into digital now. And so it's, you know, these personalities, especially the ones that are big on multiple platforms, whether it's Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, you know, the ones who have a strong brand on multiple, you know, they're more persuasive than just putting millions of dollars into TV ads or, you know, print like that to me is, is old school and it's going to get left behind. I think TV will continue to be there, but influencer marketing is only going to continue to grow. You know, I was at the influencer marketing conference last week and it was one of those things where it was only the second year they were doing it and it's very early stage, but the people who are there are some of the ones leading the industry forward and we're all on the same page that this is just the beginning. Um, it's just, you know, it's an evolution. I think the FTC is also an interesting component here with compliance. That's something that's being looked into a lot more. Um, Influencers are getting... Influencers are getting handed down big fines as well as agencies if they're not disclosing partnerships with things like hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor, um, things like that. And that's going to continue to happen. Um, so you really got to be educated on the space. Um, you know, a few years ago, you could just post something. You didn't have to worry about it. Um, we even met an attorney who specializes in influencer marketing compliance now. So the industry is going to continue to evolve. There's going to continue to be more money put into it. And ultimately, we see that room for growth. And it's going to be those influencers that are successful on multiple platforms that ultimately make this their career. Yeah. I mean, again, kudos to them if they can do it. I know it takes a lot of hard work, um, but I mean, I'd rather be doing that work, right? Most people would rather, most people, <laughs> I mean, I'm cool with what I do, but I'm sure most people would rather be doing something like that. It's a little bit more, more enjoyable than their, uh, their nine to five, I'm sure. Um, and then the last, last question, second to last question I want to ask what what personally as an agency obviously we spoke about how you're growing this roster of athletes influencers being more selective um now you're even going into the event space going into the social media management space what areas or sports or like where are you trying to grow personally like is it esports are you trying to grab some of those guys or, or girls before they you know just completely pop off like is there any areas of, uh, of influence you're trying to kind of reach your hands into to again make sure that all of these brands there's no opportunity for them to say no. Of course. Yeah, esports is one is definitely on our radar. I think it's taken a little bit of learning on our part and even just being humble and telling some of these creators and, and agents or companies in that space, like we're learning. Like this is what we've done in all these other industries. We're trying to understand esports more so we can work with you. Um, and just being transparent that we're not experts in that space, but 
I'm very bullish on it. I think it's a great opportunity. And then also looking at sports with very internationally marketable players like the NBA, soccer, um, MLB, like looking at that because, you know, one of the downfalls to working with NFL players, and they know this, is the marketing opportunities are here in the U.S. and North America for the most part. You know, an Asian brand isn't really going to tap in an NFL player. just doesn't make sense for their market. Um, so looking at individuals that can work with those type of companies in different regions of the world is something we, we certainly see as, as an opportunity. Yeah, and that that completely makes sense. And you know, esports is huge. I, I've had a few people on uh, on the show already that have spoke to me about esports, and I'm learning more and more. Mostly because of my job, uh, esports will be an Olympic sport at some point, depending Absolutely. on the game. So I have to make sure I know what the heck's going on. Um, but you're you're completely right. Like, there's so much money being poured into it, and people don't really know how to do it yet. It's, I think it's great. You know, rather than you guys saying, "Yeah, heck yeah," you know, just throwing caution to the wind and stuff at a wall, see what sticks. It makes a lot more sense to hey, you know, let's let's learn and understand that way we can create those real relationships, what you need to do and how you need to do it. I think that's obviously the most important part. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I love it. Alex, this is great. Just the last question, what, do you, what is Distinction Agency? What are you going to try and make it look like? Like, obviously, you've already done so much in two years. Um, now you have an even bigger team, more incredible people around you. I'm super excited to see what you're going to be like in five or 10 years, man. This is going to be great. I appreciate that, Michael. I think for us, it's just being, you know, outstanding to our clients in every way. So whatever they need, being able to provide service to them. Um, and if we can't provide service, guiding them in the right direction and becoming more of that 360 agency that can help with all these different facets like social media, PR, events, um, and building out a roster with great individuals who want to do great work for brands. That's what we see is we never want to work with somebody where we have to beg them to do a post or to show up to an event. You know, we just want to work with great people and do great things. I've had to do that a couple of times. It's not fun. Um, so I can totally see where you're <laughs> coming from there. Uh, again, sincerely, Alex, this was wonderful. Alex Onandia. Got it? Got it. Nice. I wrote it down phonetically, very phonetically. Uh, CEO of Distinction Agency, all around incredible guy. Alex, really, really appreciate your time today, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode with Alex Onindia. As I said, he was a lot of fun to talk to. He's done so much stuff already in his, his short career, and, and he's crushed it, really. Like, he's absolutely been crushing it, and, you know, he sounded kind of humble, but really excited to see what this thing's going to look like in four, five, six, seven, ten years. Um, so, yeah, make sure to follow Alex on all his socials. Everything should be in the show notes, all the links. Go check out some of the stuff that he's doing, especially if you're interested. Please, please, please rate this show five stars or one star or a hundred stars, whatever the platform is. It really, really does help us with what we're doing. And so more people get to hear these stories, be inspired, understand what it takes to work in sports and what kind of mindset you need to take it to the top like Alex has and will continue to do. So thank you all so much. And I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.